You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. In the name of one God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You can be seated, please. I, you know, I, I, I really can't help how trite this sounds, but to say that it is an honor to be here would be an understatement. It's a privilege. I can honestly say that uh, my 10 years here at the Advent were some of the happiest years of my entire life. Uh, and the Advent is family, and in my, in my daily prayers, and will continue to be in my daily prayers until uh, I'm not able to pray. <laughs> but I'm here, God willing, to preach three sermons, not all of them before lunch, uh, I promise you today, but you'll be relieved to know, but we preachers do that uh, from time to time. They'll preach three sermons in one sermon. But God willing, one sermon today, one sermon tomorrow, and then one Sunday, Friday. And I have planned that all three of these will come from St. Paul's epistle to uh, the Galatians because properly understood and properly applied to our lives, Galatians is one of the most transforming books in the entire Bible. It's been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, freedom, freedom to uh, justify ourselves by accomplishments which is the way of the world. And I do want to emphasize with, with uh, quite clarity uh, that from the onset in these, in these three sermons, I will tell you absolutely nothing that you don't already know, at, at least intellectually. But what I hope is that even if in some small way what we know intellectually and what we have heard many times uh, will be appropriated in our hearts and in the application of our lives. For if the Son makes you free, Jesus said, he's pointing to himself, of course, uh, you will be free indeed. Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Theologically, after a theologically uh, rich Salutation, Paul goes directly into his reason for writing to the Galatians. Uh, he writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ to be turning to a different gospel. Not there, that there is a different gospel, there, but there are some who try to pervert the gospel of Christ. Let them be accursed. I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you have received, let him be accursed. Translate. Let him go to Hades. If you were writing a letter uh, to a friend to admonish or advise, you probably wouldn't begin your letter like that. Uh, you you uh, would say something nice, uh, say something uh, uh, gentle, 
and then uh, work your way into whatever it is that you want to uh, correct or, or be sure that uh, you're, you're in, going in the right direction. And Paul very normally did this. If, if you study his epistles, his many epistles throughout out the, the uh, New Testament, you will see that he normally did that. In fact, this is the only exception to that. This is <clears throat> the issue for Paul uh, concerning him and bugging him was critical and because he saw that the entire integrity of the Christian gospel was at stake. I am astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Whoever is preaching you a gospel contrary to that, I wish they, and this is a little later, I wish that they would emasculate themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> In fact, I, I, was, I was teaching uh, a, a, a group of men uh, on that, and there was one guy right to my right. He always sat there, and his eyes were closed. I didn't know whether he was sleeping or not, but I said that I wish they would emasculate themselves. And he just said, well, that doesn't sound like a very Christian thing to say. <clears throat> but we have to understand that Paul was incensed to get this, uh, to get this corrected. Now, here's, here's the story behind the apostles' outrage. The first Christian, and I said, I will tell you nothing that you don't know, but the first Christians were Jewish. Jesus, our Lord, was Jewish. And the gospel began to spread after the resurrection, which turned the world upside down in short order. But in time, Gentiles began slowly being converted uh, to Christianity. And churches made up of Gentile Christians began to spring up. And certainly that's the case in this region, if you know your geography, uh, in Galatia. Uh, in Galatia. At Galatia, Paul's uh, preaching and teaching of the pure gospel by justification, by faith alone, had been extremely successful. But in short time, amazingly a short time, uh, certain Jewish traditionalists, and they would have been Pharisees probably, uh, who had come to accept Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, uh, they were determined that these, that these Gentile Christians would, before uh, being accepted as Christians, that they would uh, accept Jewish customs and tradition, especially as it pertains to circumcision and dietary laws. And Keep in mind now, these Pharisees, uh, it, 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 every church would love to have more Pharisees. No problem with the operating budget. These, these guys were very focused on being uh, good people according to God's law. And they uh, paid a lot of attention and they assisted in keeping God's holy law. Uh, dotting every proverbial, uh, dotting and crossing every proverbial T. Uh, the problem is they thought that they had done a great job in doing, to, doing that, and they took on a kind of uh, stern air of goody-goody two-shoes, if you would. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's no wonder that Charles Spurgeon once said that you can't be too bad to be a Christian, but you can be too good to be a Christian. And that's, uh, the, the Pharisees had, had adopted a kind of self-righteousness, which, by the way, is the one most consistently condemned uh, sin in the New Testament, self-righteousness. 
At any rate, these Judaizers had been to Galatia, and uh, they were saying to the recent converts that unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, they were teaching these Christians that before joining the church, they had to become a Jew by all marks. Now, <clears throat> that, that kind of theological misconception is not just ancient mentality. Let me just tell you, they are modern-day versions of this. Not too long after I was converted to Christianity, many of you know my story. It was, I was uh, in my very early 30s. Uh, my friends were certainly excited, but I, I, I had Christian friends, that is. Uh, they were excited. Uh, but I was told by a group of them uh, that my problem was that I, I was not baptized correctly. I w had been baptized all right, uh, but I, I had not been a, had a believer's baptism. Uh, well, I was baptized as a child, <clears throat> and they, they were saying, well, that's good, but what you, what you need to do is to be fully immersed in a believer's baptism to be a full-fledged uh, full Christian. Uh, and I said, well, well, what do you think about the dying thief in that case? I mean, he had never been fully immersed in anything uh, unless it be a mud puddle. I mean, he, he, there was absolutely uh, nothing on his resume that suggested that in any way uh, he had done anything that would make himself more acceptable to God. <clears throat> and they just commented that, <coughs> excuse me, they commented that that was an exception to the rule. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you will be saved. Period. End of story. No more to be required. People often ask, say, well, what about repentance? Man, sure. Well, what is repentance? Except turning to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I mean, Jane and I have been doing some traveling. You don't check your luggage before you turn to Jesus. And I return to the dying thief. For me personally, I think that the dying thief is the, the epitome of perfect repentance. He just turned to Jesus. Lord, have mercy on me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus didn't say, well, it's a little bit late for that, isn't it? We're talking about the same guy who I can say unequivocally and without any reservation that he is in paradise right now would be the dying thief. At any rate, those are the facts behind what, <clears throat> what had disturbed Paul to the point that he would suggest, he would suggest uh, emasculation. <laughs> Paul met the issue head on. <clears throat> and to quote Galatians, in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail but faith. And can you see just how, what's at stake here? <clears throat> if you start adding things to what, this is one of my favorite uh, stained glasses in all the world. And he's, uh, what he said there is, it is finished. So what Paul is saying, it's fine if you're circumcised. <clears throat> 
And it's fine if you're not. It's fine if you want to eat a barbecue sandwich. It's fine if you don't. But you don't have to be a Jew to, to, to become a Christian. And Paul stayed a Jew, of course. But for Paul, the issue was much bigger than just diet and, and uh, circumcision. The issue was that from the very beginning of Christianity to the present day, there is a perpetual danger of adding requirements to the only thing God requires. And to do anything else to include good works, even the commandments of God, which are holy and righteous, if we add that as a means of merit, of justification, then we will bring free people back into the bondage and Christianity will become well, it would lose its, its transforming power. Now, do, do God's law, the commandments, have any purpose in Christianity? Absolutely. Absolutely and emphatically. And in fact, I promise, before I leave here on Friday, I will preach about the role that law has. But suffice it to know, now to say, for all eternity, it is finished. There's no more we can do to add to it or take away for that matter I'll go into that too once for all and if you've ever lived a life maybe in your family your relationship with your father that's usually the case in which you kind of had to earn your approval Uh, it could be a father but a mother a spouse then you know about this bondage of 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 being accepted by accomplishment uh, I think I've told you this story before. I'll tell you again. My problems that I had as a, as a child with math. I despised math. And math despised me. <clears throat> and it wasn't because I wasn't trying. I just didn't get it. And my parents had me uh, tutored. And I worked hard. And one day, after a summer, that semester, I made a B-. minus. And that was one of the most beautiful B-minuses I've ever seen. I was talking to someone for breakfast this morning and asked how they were getting along with uh, one of their uh, new son-in-laws. And uh, he, he said, yeah, he's a good guy. I'd give him a B-minus. And, I, uh, <clears throat> and that was kind of said disparagingly. But this B-minus, this B-minus was just, it was a beautiful thing for me. And my mother... It was on the telephone, talking when I, when I, uh, the day of that I'd received the B minus, and she was talking to my aunt, and she, uh, she said, yes, 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 hold on one minute. She says, Annie said, this is wonderful, and if you keep it up, maybe you can get it to an A. <laughs> and I said to myself, well, you can tell Annie to go. <laughs> you, you know. My, my letter to her would be very much like Paul's letter to, to the Galatians. Uh, well, I, that, that's it, basically. That's sermon number one. But I t- and I told you at the beginning that I wasn't going to tell you anything that you haven't heard before. But the problem is we, including myself, we're all recovering Pharisees. It's just in the air that we, the air that we breathe. 
Uh, free, free grace uh, doesn't come natural to us. And it's kind of like St. James comes in whispering to our conscience. Faith without works is dead. And this is true. Faith without works is dead. But let me assure you something. That in the final analysis, the work has already been done. There's the work. I'm going to leave today's sermon with the wonderful words of Joseph Hart. And he wrote this in 1750 specifically. And you know this, you know this poem. So come, ye weary and heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, then you'll never come at all. So let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. May God draw reluctant hearts and now give doubting souls courage to believe this for Jesus' sake. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.